powered by Clear Vision Development Group. This is Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leaders podcast. Each week, we'll provide you with top business insights, fresh perspectives from world-class guests, and the tools you need to lead better than before. And now, here's your host, author and business coach, Tony Richards. Welcome to the program where we will not be bidding in the auction for Adolf Hitler's personal toilet seat. Today on the program, my guest is Jake Jacobs, and he is an organizational change master. He's got a brand new book coming out, Leverage Change, and it's somewhat of a masterwork on the subject, as well as Jake being a master subject of organizational change. We're going to have him here in just minutes. And I'll be showcasing communication this month in our leadership and business lesson that's coming up a little later on in the program. Today, I'm going to lay out some scenarios that could happen to you if if you're not on your A game. And that all happens to us some days for sure. It's all coming up today on Better Than Before, brought to you by University Subaru. Join us for the Subaru True Love event going on now. From here, been here, always will be here. University Subaru, homegrown and proud of it. The 2021 Subaru Forester, a spacious interior with everything you need for confidence on the road ahead. Standard symmetrical all-wheel drive plus 33 miles per gallon. Standard EyeSight Driver Assist technology. It's the SUV for all you love. Join us for the Subaru True Love event going on now. University Subaru. Homegrown and proud of it. See dealer for details. Are you working twice as hard but enjoying fewer rewards? Maybe you're highly accomplished but you just can't seem to break through and make the next big move or you run a business that has begun to grow stagnant, it doesn't have to stay that way. Even the best leaders have felt as if their careers were spiraling out of control, but that's when they had to lead and lead big. Tony Richards' new book, The Big Idea, 52 Ways to Be a Better Leader Now, will help launch you forward in leadership. Learn how to take charge and lead yourself, lead others, and lead your company. Purchase online today at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and our website, clearvisiondevelopment.com. Welcome back to Better Than Before. I'm Tony Richards. Jake Jacobs is my guest today, and in his career as a consultant, Jake's worked with some of the largest corporations in the world, including American Express, Corning, Ford, Home Depot, Marriott, Mobile Oil, TJ Maxx. He's also facilitated major change efforts with the City of New York, the U.S. National Forest Service, Environmental Protection Agency, and United Kingdom's National Health and Employee Services. Jake's consulting, writing, and teaching have allowed him to, to discover better ways for people and organizations to change. And I can tell you as a CEO coach that that is one of the most difficult initiatives to undertake. It doesn't have to be difficult, though. In his new book, Leverage Change, he will share eight fail-safe ways to make any change initiative at any organization easier, faster, and more effective. 
Leverage Change provides readers with proven advice and real-life examples that will accelerate every step of the change process, including designing your own customized change process, figuring out where the real energy for change is in your organization, striking the right balance between explicit direction and uh, creative collaboration, making change work as part of people's regular routines, and more. We've got some fabulous endorsements for this book. It's not quite out yet. I'll have Jake tell you more about that. But uh, here's one person who pre-read the book. Now more than ever, we need healing when it comes to relationships between residents and police. Jake Jacobs' Leverage Change is the perfect tool for handling pressure-filled, high-stakes, anxiety-written situations. This book helps people get things done in a way that fosters honesty, equity, fairness, and respect. Communities facing this challenge can find a way forward by following the techniques and tools in these pages. And this is Jesse Halliday, the leader of the Louisville uh, Synergy Project to further strengthen resident and police relationships. Also, Ken Blanchard had some great things to say about it. You may remember Ken as the author of The One Minute Manager. He says, who needs help dealing with the constant change that is happening in our lives, our organizations, and our world? We all do. Leverage change is a much-needed guide for dealing with change, no matter when or where it appears. Jake Jacobs' Eight Levers will help you adjust the ways you already manage change to make them work better for you. Read this book, embrace change, and step into a more secure future. Ken and Margie Blanchard. Quite an endorsement there, Jake. Welcome to the program. Thanks so much, Tony. Glad to have you all the way from Toledo today. And uh, boy, you've worked on some interesting things uh, that you know, I'm an originally a Kentucky native, so I saw that endorsement from the person with the Louisville Synergy Project, so I wanted to use that one because that's great work. I mean, in the times we live today, that's a that's a problem in a lot of cities, and it looks like you were able to help them with that. Yeah, we've worked with the Illumination Project, which is an organization I set up a 501c3 with the mission to further strengthen relationships between police and citizens with trust and legitimacy. And the work uh, began in Charleston after the shootings in the basement of that AME church in 2015. And the police chief said, we need to do something to honor the victims and survivors of that work. So getting police and citizens to collaborate on finding better ways for them to create safe, healthy, livable cities has been the work of that organization, and we've been working most recently in Louisville. Wow, that's great. Uh, thank you for doing that uh, to help improve all of our communities. Now, I'm a CEO coach. I work with a lot of CEOs and executive teams, and you know, there's an old saying, if you're not changing, you're probably dying. And right now, it seems like we have to change more than ever just to stay relevant with Uh, today's current situation with the marketplace and all these external factors. But I'm going to ask you, because I'm curious about the answer myself, but what is it about trying to get an organization to change that makes it so difficult? Well, I'm going to say, Tony, that a lot of consultants in my shoes and in yours spend a lot of time talking about change with their clients. And I actually take a different tack. I think that uh, they're missing something when there's that focus on change. 
And the difference is that what I want to spend time talking with clients about is also what are we not going to change? So there's change fatigue that occurs in organizations when, as you said, there's technology changes, marketplace changes, uh, trends with competitors. All of those changes bombard employees and organizations. And so what I found is that paying attention to what to keep doing the same, even if it's making a list of things that are changing and then doubling the line of the list of things that they're gonna keep doing, brings a sense of uh, safety and security. And the way I describe it is it gives people a firm footing to take a leap off into the unknown. And so being able to focus on what it is that's gonna stay the same is often as powerful as focusing on what needs to change. Hmm. You know, a couple of years ago, I had a client that, I mean, they really needed some updating and some change and um, quite a mature company, probably 80 years old. So the company had been around quite a while, had not really changed in a while, really needed to do a lot of things different. And um, so the CEO was new, and of course he brought me in, so I was new. The CFO was new. The vice president of HR was new. Um, so a couple of the executives that had been there for quite some time uh, just looked at us one day and said, I know you guys think we're going awful slow, but you have to understand, to us, we're going at light speed. So you got to negotiate that stuff with everybody, right? Yeah, and I think that those people who have been there uh, have a sense of what the culture's like. They understand what's going on for people who have still been in the organization. And listening to them uh, is, is a key. Although I will say this, Tony, that a lot of my clients, and probably yours as well, uh, complain that change takes too long, that it is too slow. And so when you hear those people say, you know, we're moving at light speed, uh, one of the things that I found is uh, a simple way of approaching change, which is called think and act as if the future were now. Mm. And what that is, is that the shift in mindset uh, came from a book I read way back in the mid 80s by Stan Davis called Future Perfect. And he said, manage and lead in the future perfect tense of the verb as if something had already happened. So rather than talking about the future as something that's out there, or something that's going to happen at a later time. What I do with clients is I encourage them to think and act as if that future were now. Get some image of that future and start to live it today. So I would say to those people who looked at you and said, we're moving at light speed and say, well, what's the aspect of what we want in the future? I've had clients who say, well, we want a more participative organization. And my question is, what can you do today, right here, right now, to start getting more participation. And I've had people call a halt to a meeting, take a break, and then make a bunch of phone calls and get 15 more people in the room mm. for that meeting and making decisions. There was a group of salespeople and all the executives were arguing about what was the right thing to do in this new market and how were they gonna penetrate it? And they said they wanted a participative organization. I said, so call those frontline salespeople. Yeah. get them in the room. And they actually did have conversations. And those frontline people had answers for some of the questions that those executives were stumped about. Wow. That's awesome. I love that approach. 
You know, one of my favorite questions to ask when we're talking about change, when especially when we're first talking about it with a, with a CEO, my question always is, imagine you were replaced tomorrow. What would your replacement do? And so sometimes, in my experience anyway, we have those sacred cows or those emotional things that we know should be changed or maybe fixed, but we're not going to touch them for various reasons when someone else could come in there with a fresh perspective and no history and wouldn't think about changing that at all. Do you encounter those kinds of things too? Yeah, and I think that um, people get stuck in doing what they've always done. Well, that's true. That question about what could be different um, is a really important one. One of the ways that I get at this with clients is um, fun and also revealing. And so I have clients talk about, they, we call it a sabotage brainstorm. And so we'll say, when they say, well, what are the things that you wouldn't uh, have your replacement do? I say, what are all the things you can do to really screw up this effort that you've got underway? Wow. And people get really creative about things that they could do to mess things up. And what they find is that, in fact, in some cases, they've already done a few of these things if they admit it. Oh, man. And uh, it opens up the possibilities to say, you know, some of these undiscussables can get on the table. We can talk about them. They can become something that we can take action on because they got voice. And otherwise, they're elephants in the room. Yeah. We're not going to talk about these things. They're not comfortable. It's not something that uh, the culture agrees with. No, no. Let's put it on the table. Let's take a look at it and let's take some action. You know, one of the things that I've got in my research here is there are four really powerful words uh, in any change work. Now, could you talk about those four words and why they're important? Sure. So if I were stuck, Tony, with only four words to use in all of my work with leaders and organizations, they would be, could you say more? And why are those powerful? Well, a couple of reasons. One, if you're in the organization and you use those words, that gives you a chance to step back and avoid being defensive about whatever's being said. It's almost like taking a deep breath, except you're saying, could you say more? So it gives you a chance to step back. But the other thing, which I think is even more important, is it encourages the person who's talking to go further. Oftentimes, there's a risk in saying something about what needs to be different or how I might need to change as your boss. And if I say, could you say more, it gives you permission to step back and say, okay, well, let me give you some more insight about that. Let me get into some more detail. And so one of the levers in this book is create a common database. And it talks about how people often in organizations don't know enough to make good decisions. And leaders who say, well, I'm going to let other folks have some authority and make some decisions, but they don't share with them the context or the background or some of the strategic information they need to make good decisions. So if we're creating a common database, one of the best ways to do that is to use those four words of, could you say more? They're simple, they're straightforward, and they're powerful. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I've noticed that there's always around to try to simplify it, there's usually three groups of people. They're the supporters, the people who buy in right away. There's the people who are kind of neutral. They're, they're going to wait and kind of see how it goes. And then there's the resistors. 
which I think you kind of refer to them as reluctant troublemakers. How do you deal with those folks when you're changing? Right. So <clears throat> I wrote a book uh, called You Don't Have to Do It Alone, How to Involve Others to Get Things Done. And we had a section, special section, we set aside on troublemakers. And we started it off by saying troublemaking is in the eye of the beholder. So if I have you be a troublemaker, you tend to cause trouble. If I have you be a valuable contributor and collaborator and teammate of mine, you tend to behave differently. So let me tell you a, a quick story about um, a situation because one of the ways to get people on board with a design a change effort is to let them design it themselves. And we were working in this telecommunications company and starting to plan what that change effort was going to look like, what the purpose should be, what the outcome should be, not something off the shelf, but something that they delivered. And this guy's name was Joe. And Joe stood in the doorway the first half day that we were meeting with his arms crossed. We asked him if he wanted to sit down. He said, no, he was fine and comfortable. And we asked him if there was anything he wanted to say. And he said, no, he was fine where he was. And literally two feet outside the process. And at lunch, he came and sat down next to me. And I welcomed him and I asked him how the morning had gone. And he said, it's different. This is a different approach. You're really listening to what people are saying. And this is not something that you're, you know, rolling over instead of uh, uh, forcing us to do things. You're asking us what we think might be the best ideas, what we think might be the best way forward. And he said, that's different. That's different than it's ever been. He, he said they used to call rollouts rollovers mm. and that they would just roll over them with the change, just like uh, flattening a street and pavement when you're putting construction together. And he said that this was different. And so that whole notion of uh, design it yourself has been a really powerful way to engage people and get away from that being forced to do things a certain way. No, we got to figure it out together. Mm -hmm. Well, I love that approach. I love it. Um, you, you talk about the outcome being our preferred future. And uh, you also talked about how uh, a lot of people say this isn't going fast enough. So how do you shorten those time frames up? Yeah, so when I go back to this think and act as if the future were now, one of the things that it does, Tony, is it increases what I call the believability index. And by that, I mean that people look left and right when you're talking about change in an organization. And, and you know, they look and say, is anything different? I mean, I hear that things are going to change, but are they changing? And so when you think and act as if the future were now, people on the left and right of you are doing business differently. They're experimenting with trying new ways of working, uh, new ways of partnering together. And so that whole notion of speed is something that's absolutely critical in change. And the faster that you can change, I like to say that you can blur the line between the present and the future. And when you get some image of what that preferred future is, the one that you choose for your organization, for yourself, for your customers in the future, you make that choice about what a preferred future is. You need to step into it and you need to own it. You need to claim it for yourself and you need to start behaving as if you were taking it seriously. Jake, tell, tell me about uh, the most interesting change initiative you've been a part of, like one that just really sticks out with some interesting stuff about it. 
Well, <clears throat> I'm gonna tell you about one where there was a pending pandemic. Pretty appropriate for these times. You bet. I was working with the city of New York. Uh, this was back now, it was in the early 90s. And I'm gonna tell you, it's not what have you done for me lately. This time period is actually critical part of the story. But in the early 90s, there was a pending tuberculosis pandemic in New York City. And they were uh, getting multi-drug resistant strains of TB, which meant if you don't take the medicine on a regular basis, then the disease adapts to that. And that drug that used to work doesn't anymore. And so a poor and indigent populations, these were people who went from the prison system to the shelter system, to the public healthcare system, to the streets. So tracking these people was really difficult. And what they did is the Department of Health created a blueprint for TB control for the city. And in that blueprint, they needed to negotiate how they were going to do treatment across all of these city agencies, how they were gonna track what the treatment modalities were gonna be, all of the details of combining budgets, things that these agencies had never done with each other. And they came out of this tuberculosis control project with a plan to collaborate and collaborate in ways they never had before. Now, the reason I'm telling this story is that if you go back to 1992 and you track the tuberculosis incidents in New York City, there's been an 85% year over year decline in TB. Wow. Last year was the lowest number of reported cases of tuberculosis in New York City since they started counting in 1897. So I tell that story to say sustained change is something a lot of people talk about. And a lot of people have that as a goal so that it's fixed instead of what I call Teflon change, right? Which is great when you're scrubbing pots in the kitchen after dinner, but it's not so good when you're trying to get sustainable change. But this story of New York City, they're using the same protocols and the same processes that they put in place more than 30 years ago nearly 40 now. And they've put these in place to be able to get consistent results. And so for me, I sat in the back of the room when they finished that first meeting and I decided one of my reasons for being on the planet, Tony, had just occurred. Hmm. I didn't know what I was going to do with the rest of my career and with the rest of my work, but I knew that in some small way, I'd been able to help with this pending pandemic and these people were able to work together in new ways that they never imagined. And the results speak for themselves and they speak for themselves over time. What a great feeling to feel like you're fulfilling some of your purpose and you're helping people and you're, you're achieving a statistic like that on tuberculosis. That's just great. You know, there are business leaders listening right now to our show who some of them are in larger companies of 3,000, 5,000, 10,000 employees. There are business leaders with six, 10, 20 employees. And sometimes those change efforts can be just as difficult as the large complex ones. But if you could offer some encouragement to any of these business leaders about, you know, if they're struggling and they're trying to make things different and they're trying to uh, invoke some change, what kind of encouragement would you give them? Well, first of all, I'd affirm them and I'd say change can be hard. 
And the larger the organization, a lot of times, the harder the change. Now, my expertise is working in what we call large systems in my field. So we just worked with an organization, 37,000 people. They have offices uh, and installations across the world. And what we did is we reached out into the organization and actually held meetings, large group meetings of 200 people. And we've used COVID with uh, Zoom and other technologies to hold large group meetings like this. So they don't have to be face-to-face. -face. But what we did was in that merger and acquisition, we said, whose voice needs to be heard in shaping the future of this enterprise? And the leaders took up at what the vision and the values and the mission was going to be for the future of this company. And then we took it out and we shopped it around in the organization and we said, what do you all think of this? What can you make work? What are you going to have trouble with? What help do you need? And we got feedback from different parts, from Dubai, we got it, from London, from Houston, different parts of the world, 200 people at a time, giving this input and then took it back to that leadership team and said, what is it that you think now based on the input that you've got? And they locked in what that future vision was going to look like. And we then held a meeting and said, this is an implementation meeting. We got representatives from each of those sessions that were held around the world and looked and said, okay, what are the actions that need to be taken for this vision to become real? Mm. So one of the things I would say to leaders in any organization is, to go out into the organization and find out from people what they think needs to happen, as well as having their own vision and their own clarity about what the future should look like. And it's through putting a combination of those two together in real concrete ways is where I find the magic happens. It's not going to happen from a top-down standpoint, and it's not going to happen from a bottom-up. But when you take the whole organization, draw a circle that includes everybody, and say, let's take this seriously. Let's really listen to these people, and let's find a way together to get forward that, in fact, this doesn't all rest on leadership shoulders. If it, it feels like a heavy burden, it may be that you're carrying more than your fair share. And if you share that with others, in fact, it does lighten the load. Yeah, I love it. So you mentioned that you had a previous book earlier. So the Leverage Change uh, is what number book for you? Uh, number three. Number, number three. Number three is a sole author, yeah. Gotcha. And that's coming out in May, right? Coming out in May. And um, what I think is important about this book is that you can use it for any change in any organization made by anyone. If you've got a, a formal change program that you're trying to roll out, this is for you. If you wanna bring about informal change, it can help. If you have individual team organization, any level, they're very flexible, these levers, and you can use them to get faster, easier, better results, whatever those results may be. So there's something for everybody in the book. There's uh, 44 stories of applications that I put in there because I wanted people to be able to relate to what I was saying and what the guides and the tools are that are in it. Because at the end of the day, the future is ours. Yeah. If we choose and if we make it happen. Well, I, I tell you, Jake, I, I love everything you've shared with us today. I think our audience is going to find it very helpful. I know I'm finding it very helpful. Um, Jake Jacobs, everybody's our guest today. And Jake, before, um, I'll let you go. I've got a list of 12 questions that I ask everybody who comes on our show. 
And so I'm interested to run these 12 uh, interesting questions by you. All right, let her rip. All right, here we go. Number one, what is the best memory that immediately comes to mind for you? Uh, that would be a hot fudge Sunday quest that I had with my grandfather that took a number of years and the Marshall Fields, uh, Frango Mint Sunday did win that debate. <laughs> they got good cookies too. Um, yeah, they do. who is the number one hero in your life? Uh, my father, a man of great integrity, uh, wisdom and, uh, hair. Great. What is the top value you subscribe to? Creativity. I think that the best way forward out of any situation we have is looking for new and different possibilities. And I value creativity in myself and in others. Getting out of your own paradigm. Uh, exactly. The most important person in your life. Uh, that would be a woman named Amy. And uh, we were supposed to get married in June and COVID got in the way. So she is a fiance slash wife. And so what I call her is my partner in everything. Okay, great. What is your favorite thing? Ah, my favorite thing would be reading. I love to learn and I find that uh, whether that's reading a Sports Illustrated and catching up on what's going on in the sports world or whether that's around personal development or the business, um, I learn and I learn from reading. You know, uh, I write quite a bit too, and I have I have figured out that the more I read, the the more initiative I have to write. Uh, ah, that's a good that's a good tip for us writers. Yeah, yeah. You get read a lot, and then it generates a lot of thoughts for your writing. Then, what's your favorite food? Ah, uh, my favorite food. I go back to those hot fudge Sundays with Grandpa Becker. Okay, great. Most beautiful place you've ever been to. Uh, I think the south of France is the most beautiful place, which is where the partner and everything and I got engaged. Okay, good. If you could describe success in one word, what would the word be? Potential. It's really about fulfilling our potential. And, and I was just reading this, uh, Tony. John Wooden won 10 championships in 12 years for UCLA's basketball. And never once did he use the word win when uh -huh. he was coaching. That's fantastic. You always talk about the satisfaction of fulfilling your own potential and doing the best you could do. And if that's good enough for 10 championships in 12 years, it's good enough for me. You know, uh, I was 12 in his last championship game, and he beat Kentucky. <laughs> so, Sorry about that. I won't forget. Well, if you got to get beat by somebody, I mean, get beat by somebody who's exactly. won 10 of them, right? Um, how do you want to be remembered? Uh, as, uh, someone who cared, who made a difference, who made people laugh and who helped people reach their full potential, whether they're an individual or an organization. If you could go back and, uh, give young Jake some good advice, what would the advice be? Take it easy, young son. It's an easier ride than you believe. What's your favorite sound? Uh, that would have to be the opening chords to a Dave Matthews band song. <laughs> Great. And finally, what is the best lesson you've learned? Uh, do unto others as they would like done unto them. Great.
Jake Jacobs has been our guest today. He's been fabulous, shared a lot of great information. He's a consultant that helps organizations with organizational change. His new book is coming out in May, and it's called Leverage Change. So you need to go and pre-order that and uh, get that because it's a, it's a manual for change in, in organizations of, of every and any kind. And also tell everybody how they can find out more about you or maybe contact you, Jake. Great. So that's an easy one, Tony. You can reach me at jakejacobsconsulting.com. And you can learn more about the book there and some of the uh, support programs we've put in place to help people take the words on page and put them into actions in the real world. Well, you've encouraged me today. I think I'm going to uh, have a, my own quest for the perfect uh, hot fudge Sunday. So <laughs> that seems like a worthwhile goal at my stage in life. Well, certainly, certainly for me, it's worked well. Okay. Hey, listen, thanks a lot for being on. We'll have you back again sometime. Thanks so much, Tony. You bet. We'll have our leadership and business lesson coming up next here on Better Than Before. The 2021 Subaru Forester, a spacious interior with everything you need for confidence on the road ahead. Standard symmetrical all-wheel drive plus 33 miles per gallon. Standard EyeSight driver assist technology. It's the SUV for all you love. Join us for the Subaru True Love event going on now. University Subaru, homegrown and proud of it. See dealer for details. Receive weekly coaching tips from Tony Richards, delivered straight to your inbox. Whether you're a CEO or an entrepreneur, Tony can help you reach your goals and give you a competitive edge within your industry. Tony's Monday Morning Coaching Memo covers topics ranging from leadership development to teamwork to company culture and more. Text the word leadership to 38470 to sign up for Tony's Monday Morning Coaching Memo or sign up online at clearvisiondevelopment.com. Welcome back to Better Than Before. What could happen in your communications when you are not on your A game? And we all experience that from time to time. Some days are just not as good as others. Now, I have been in the airports a lot in the last 20 years. A lot. And it's interesting to me what people do and how they behave with the people who are at the service desk scheduling the flights, taking tickets, validating tickets, changing your seat assignment. They're, they're just doing what they can and the best they can. So here's this passenger who's off their A game for sure. I remember in Dallas one time, I was in the Dallas airport flying back to Columbia, and this lady just went berserko on this airline attendant person who was trying to help her at the service desk and finally she had to ask this lady to step off and away from the desk and go back to back in the line and that she would just help her later i mean do you not realize that these people hold your ticket in their hand they can put you on the next available flight or they can put you on the flight at midnight or they can put you on the flight at 4 a.m. or they can put you on the flight next week. So 
I don't understand why releasing a little bit of your frustration and your tension is a good idea on someone who controls the ability for you to get home or at least get to where you want to be. I've also seen situations, I've done it myself, where I'm very happy and I'm very pleasurable and nice and I get an upgrade. So I just don't understand, like, your if your final outcome is good, why do you think bad behavior is going to get you a good outcome? It's not going to happen, right? So when you're not on your A game, there are consequences to your communications with folks. So one of the things you got to do, and one of the things this lady could have done in Dallas that had the airport breakdown is that I promise you the whole time she was waiting to get to the desk or walking to the desk or 10 or 15 minutes before she got to talk to the person who could possibly really help her and put her in an advantageous situation, her negative self-talk through her brain was going crazy. The thing that we saw on the outside was nothing compared to the storm that was going on inside. She could have changed that stream of consciousness to to be kind and thoughtful and pleasant, and their communications would have been kind and thoughtful and, and pleasant, and she would have got a kind and thoughtful and pleasant outcome. But she didn't. She let loose everything that had been going through her head for the previous 10 minutes, and as, as a bystander who witnessed it, it was not pretty. So you can also, here's another thing for you, be aware of how your mind can create negative situations that do not really exist, right? So if you have some negative stimulus, then all of a sudden your viewpoint becomes negative. Something tricks your trigger toward the negative, and now the entire world through your lens is negative. It's really not, but it's the way you're seeing it because of something that happened to you or something someone said, and it's advantageous to you. If you've got an important communication coming up, you got to catch those thoughts that are negative and check those babies, keep them in check so that your entire viewpoint doesn't go negative. So I call these mental distortions. People can say things to you and put thoughts in your head that distort the actuality and reality of what really happened. I mean, they really, really can. And you have to be the guardian of your own thoughts and your own mindset uh, because it can cause you some serious problems with other people. The other thing is monitor your tone. And here, here's the hard part about that. Have you ever wondered why broadcasters, and I've got a pair of headphones on right now, have you ever wondered why you see a, a ball game on TV or a sports commentator or that's the most common place, I guess, where you'd see it in everyday life. They've got headphones on. We In broadcasting, we call them cans. they got cans on their head. And the reason is because you cannot ascertain or discern your true tone with your own ear. So when you put the headphones on and you get the audio feed back through your headphones, you can hear what you actually sound like. If you don't wear the headphones, you don't hear what you actually sound like. It's like the first time you hear yourself on a recording or you record the greeting on your voicemail and you're like, oh my, is that me? 
I sound terrible. It's because you've never really heard yourself before. And now that you've recorded it and it's being played back to you, you can hear it more than when you're just talking. Other people can hear your tone better than you because you can't understand or ascertain your own tone. But I promise you, the other people will. And by their reactions, body language, and or response, you'll be able to tell if your tone is good or not so good. Right? But you got to monitor that. Now, if you've had a career of wearing headphones, I could probably take these headphones off and do this show, and there probably wouldn't be much of a difference in tone because I've I've done it long enough that I'm very comfortable with and know what my tone is. And I know where to speak from, uh, not from my throat, but from my diaphragm to get the desired tone in my voice that I want. But most everyday people don't they don't know that. They haven't been trained that way. They haven't had to practice it. So they talk from the guttural part of their throat, and they don't really know what they sound like when they come across to people. But it's something you really ought to pay attention to because tone is really important. Try to understand where the other person is coming from. Actively listen to others. Well, sure, right? Don't, don't Like the lady at the airport was not at all considerate or concerned about what the attendant had to say. She was going to get her message across and she was not interested in listening. She was only interested in talking. And so actively listening, in other words, blanking out your mind. And that's not the easiest thing to do. Um, but blanking out, uh, in sales, we call it dummying up where you're actually listening to the prospect but not running options in your head while they're talking. Because if you do that, you're going to miss some stuff they say. Because your voice in your head is louder than their voice on the outside. Be prepared. Don't shoot from the hip. Now, there's this thing where everybody thinks because you can talk that you're good at talking. Uh, or you can speak so you're good at communicating. You know, you just wagga, 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 wagga. Look at me. I can talk. So I must be good at it. No, that does not mean that. Just because you can cook doesn't mean you're a Chef Paul uh, in New Orleans, right? It doesn't mean you're real good at it just because you can cook. Uh, so you got to be careful about just shooting from the hip not really consciously thinking about what you want to say and how it might affect the other person. And when you're stressed out, tired, not sleeping well, you're overworked, maybe you've had a long week, the weaker you get, the more this goes bad because you get way off your A-game when you're stressed or tired. So focus on things that will actually make a difference in the conversation. And that I'm going to tell you, it's things I've already said, is monitor your tone, think about what the other person is saying, respond to them, and make it a two-way free-flow conversation. Not one person talks for five minutes. And you're going to think, wow, five minutes? Yes, some of you can rattle on for five minutes without even hardly breathing. You go on for five minutes without allowing, they don't know where to, they don't know what to respond to. You've said so much 
that they can't keep up with it all. You've made 10 points in your conversation and they don't know which of the 10 to break apart and give you an answer on. So you got to focus on things that make a difference. So pay attention to what you're saying, make a point, let them respond, make another point, let them respond, add something to that particular point. You don't have to make 40 points in a, in a conversation, right? Offer help to the other person. Help them communicate with you by keeping your conversation focused and concise and to the point, right? Stay calm. Stay calm. And remember, breathe. Because sometimes when you start talking, and especially if you're upset, you won't breathe. And you'll just talk until you're out of breath. So stay calm and breathe. Plan out what could possibly go wrong in this scenario and stay away from it. Now listen, some of you know the other person's buttons. The person in the airport I was talking about had never seen this person before. But I promise you, that attendant had heard this situation from other people before. And there were probably a couple of button pushers that she laid out there that really bothered the attendant. Some of you subconsciously know the buttons of the person you're talking to. And just to be, uh, gosh, shall I say, just to be a little uh, provocative and uh, a little irritating, you'll punch those buttons automatically without even thinking about it. You know what gets their goat, so you punch them. That's not conducive to being a healthy communication therefore healthy relationships. So be very cognizant of when you're not on your A game. You're not being thoughtful. You're not being concise. You're not being uh, good in your tone and friendly and grateful. And so what goes in, that's what's coming back at you. So be cognizant of that and carry on and try to be on your A game more. That's our show today. Better Than Before is brought to you by University Subaru. Join us for the True Love event going on now. From here, been here, always will be here. University Subaru, homegrown and proud of it. You can follow me on Twitter at Tony Richards 4 Go to our website. We've got a lot of resources on there, including this podcast, my Monday morning memo you can sign up for, my Friday blog, some videos on Thursday that come out every week. It's all at clearvisiondevelopment.com. On behalf of our associate producer, Whitney Coker, and our chief producer, William Foster, I'm Tony Richards, and I want to make sure that you know that everything gets better when you get better. Thank you for listening to Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leader's podcast powered by Clear Vision Development Group. For more resources from Tony, visit clearvisiondevelopment.com. Join us next time for another episode of Better Than Before with Tony Richards. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. Thank you.